Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. My guest is Charles Allen, CEO of BTCS.com. Charles, how are you doing? Great, thanks. How are you doing? Good. Thanks so much for coming. So um, I always like to start out with, with the basics. You know, Tell me what the BTCS does to the listeners. Okay, great. So BTCS, we're one of the first, actually the first public company uh, focused on Bitcoin and blockchain technologies. We've been around since 2013, uh, and it's been kind of an interesting, you know, ride to, to where we are today. So, you know, if I just, if I can give you a little bit of history, it'll probably help, you know, set a dialogue. So we started out sure. as initially. Uh, Bitcoin Shop is an e-commerce site where we were the first the first online store where you could actually buy physical goods on the internet with Bitcoin. We pivoted the business shortly after going public and made a few strategic investments in uh, other Bitcoin companies with the hope of you know either integrating with their solutions and or potentially acquiring one of them. In 2015 uh, or the end of 2014, beginning of 2015, we started mining Bitcoin. And we opened a large facility to mine. We actually did a merger teed up with Spinduli. Uh Unfortunately, that didn't work out. Uh, no one really believed our thesis when Bitcoin was, you know, down at 130 bucks. It was going to come back, and this was, you know, the technology underlying, you know, Bitcoin was huge, and this is a place to focus. Uh, so unfortunately, we didn't get the merger done, and kind of been in restructuring mode for the last year. And just a couple months ago, raised another million dollars on the back of a new business plan, cleaned up our liabilities, and are looking to kind of, you know, move forward with, you know, what I would call a, you know, an actively managed diversified portfolio of uh, digital assets, uh, which would effectively, you know, be kind of, uh, you know, in our view, what the Winklevoss were trying to do, but, you know, on, on steroids, right? Because you could have multiple coins in different positions. And then we're also looking you know, deeply at uh, acquisition. So I know that's a bit long-winded for, you know, what we do, but that's kind of the synopsis of who we are and where we're going. Yeah, let's talk first about the, the fund initiative. So it would be like, a, I don't know if I'm right about this, a mutual fund a basket of crypto tokens that would be in like a like an ETF or a mutual fund or what would it look like? Well, so we're already a public company, right? That's kind of the beauty of it, meaning we don't need to create anything, right? We already have the whole structure set up. So, you know, our strategy is really, you know, twofold. One, well, we need to raise capital to execute on the strategy, but, you know, assuming we do that and we've got investors that are interested, basically, you know, create a basket of tokens, right? And that could be you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, storage, and then, you know, actively manage that 
then we could acquire the tokens in a couple different ways, right? We could just go buy them on exchanges. We could mine them. That's another way we're looking at, um, which would also drive revenue as well, and also participate in, you know, ICO. So that's kind of the, the, the target is, you know, as opposed to you create a new ETF to just hold Bitcoin, it would almost be like a real estate investment trust where you have a basket of properties, right? And then the, you know, the, the, the trust has kind of the, the value of the, the, that basket. The difference is because we're not, you know, an ETF, which can just do one thing, or a real estate investment trust, it also leaves, you know, the possibility for us to acquire another business or, you know, grow through mining or do other things that we otherwise wouldn't be able, you know, to do in those structures. How aggressively are you going to be pursuing this strategy and what do you think the uh, the benefit will be to you to do it? And, you know, what the is it is it just a thought of what you want to do or is it uh, already in progress? You know, what can you say about your efforts there? Um, so it, it, you know, I think it goes beyond just the, the thought of doing it. I mean, what's interesting is you look at, you know, we, we put out a, a presentation, we actually filed it with the SEC, put it on our website around February 8th. And we, we highlighted a couple of, you know, there's really two or three kind of key pages in that, that whole corporate presentation. And they were focused on what digital assets we thought were, were interesting, right? And, you know, that's on the back of that, we were able to raise, you know, a million dollars basically just to clean up our, you know, the majority, majority of our liabilities. And once that's done, our goal would be um, to file an S1 with the SEC, which we're working on, raise additional capital, and then actively go out and start doing it. So, you know, I know it seems like a long time, February, we kind of announced the strategy, but we had to do a lot of kind of corporate cleanup mm-hmm. for the last six months, which we're kind of coming out of uh, the other end on. So I would hope we would be raising an additional round in the next couple of months to start, you know, going after this. You know, our timing was pretty good in terms of picking the strategy. We somewhat, you know, missed some of the upside potential in some of the coins. There was a big run up from, you know, the beginning of the year to, you know, more recently in a lot of the, the tokens. But, you know, a lot of them pulled back. And I think in the long run, you know, in our mind, the, the, the value if you're going to invest in these things is knowing, um, you know, which ones can have, uh, you know, fundamental value in the future, knowing which teams are real versus ones that are, you know, just kind of pump and dump coins. Um, so having a team that's been in the space four years looking at it, you know, in our, in our mind is a really big, you know, value add for our shareholders. So, you know, it's something we're actively pursuing. We're still kind of doing some, some you know, cleanup work, which we're, you know, hopefully getting to the tail end of. What's it like being one of the uh, the few public companies in this space versus all the other companies? You know, tell me something about that experience. Uh, it, it's been interesting. Um, you know, it's been it's been a, a little bit of a wild ride. I think, you know, and I'll kind of touch on a couple of stories. I mean, it's been, uh, right Great. now, we're one of probably maybe, you know, of legitimate public companies. I'd say we're one of two, maybe three in the world. There's probably, I think, six or seven companies that are publicly traded, none on a major exchange, you know, all on the bulletin board or, you know, traded over the counter. We are the only one that's actually, we've had a lot of firsts. We're the first company to figure out how to account for Bitcoin via U.S. GAAP. No one even like has ever taken note of that. That was a major effort when we had a, you know, the number 15 rank auditing firm in the U.S. doing the audit, right? Because they were now, their thought is you know, you're setting a precedent for every other public company that may be in the sector how to account for Bitcoin. So that was you know a major time and cost effort that we did that no one even really knows about um, that we kind of had to do that everyone else will get the benefit of, right? We were tell, the, me, tell me quick uh, a couple challenges with with 
you know, the audit process, you know, just go into that for a quick second. What, what did you learn from that that was a surprise to you? You know, the auditors kind of struggled. The, the biggest challenge was, you know, they struggled with where Bitcoins come from and how to recognize revenue, right? So, you know, it, it, became, it got to the point where um, our auditor actually told us that we should, they didn't know which way to account for it. And we had to go through all of the, the PCAOB counting rules. And we have a firm that helped us basically say, we're basing our analysis of how you account for Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining, for that matter, based on these rules. And, you know, we went through all the tests and we were able to say it falls into this bucket. So we booked, you know, Bitcoin as revenue on the date of receipt when it's mined. And then we do a mark-to-market value of the Bitcoins we have on hand at the end of the quarter, right? And do an adjustment. And so there's another way you can account for it, which it didn't really make sense, but they weren't sure. And so we got to the point where they were like, okay, we want you to, you know, approach the SEC staff accounting board and ask for their guidance. You know, our view was, look, we think we've done it the best way. What are we going to ask the SEC? Like, we don't want to write, you know, we're not writing a research paper on this. We're trying to get through the audit so we can get our financials out. You know, we're not, we don't want a, a bunch of, we just want to, frankly, you start doing that with the SEC and you can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars with no benefit to the company, right? And you never get through the thing. Mm. Uh, so they were very worried about signing off on something. We finally said to them, look, we're going with this kind of option, which makes the most sense. The other one doesn't, it, it's such a bad fit that you can't even say it's an op. So if you have something that's close that makes sense, then we can go ask the SEC and say, should we do A or B? But we can't go to the SEC and say, we don't know what to do. What do you want us to do, right? I mean, that, it was, that was kind of what our auditor was asking. It was just absurdity. We said, we, we, we can't do that. I'm not, I'm not going to pay you guys another $50,000 to get you comfortable and then you know, go back and forth. For it could be forever asking them, and the SEC doesn't know what to do because they're just learning about stuff. You know, and, and you know, right. this is back in 2014, right? Beginning of Sometimes 2014. It's better, it's better not to ask. You, know, you don't want to awaken the sleeping giant. Or, you know, our view was look, we'll just file the financials, and if they have a problem with how we accounted for it, they're going to ask the question, right? When we do an S1. So once you file an S1, the SEC gets to, I mean, I don't have familiar with like public filings. But like a quarterly reports, no. annual report, you just kind of lob, lob it in there and you're done. And unless there's something, you know, false or misleading or they have questions, they don't really do anything. If you want to register securities for resale to the general public, then they get to, to review your registration statement and comment on it. And that's kind of an interesting, you know, segue. If you look at what's going on with the ICOs, the SEC came out last week and said, we think these are security, right? I mean, that's going to shut right. to anyone that wants to do an ICO in the U.S or their token is truly a security versus, you know, some sort of property or asset that couldn't be deemed a security, they'd have to go through this process, which would be very challenging. But that kind of, you know, fast forward to the other challenges of being public, we're the first company to ever clear an S1 with the SEC. We're the only ones to ever do it. Still, you know, four years hmm. after, and the Winklevosses with their ETF never got it done. They spent four years, I think they had nine amendments, and they couldn't get their ETF off the ground. Um, we, it took us... Wow nine months to get an S1 through, and it should have taken, typically these things take two to three, but we were the only ones to ever actually get it through. And the majority of their questions were on, you know, Bitcoin, you know, the, the accounting treatment, the regulation. So if you, I mean, if you actually go read our 10K or our, you know, our last 10K or our last, you know, S1, the whole write-up on the industry had to be, you know, take this whole complex thing of Bitcoin and blockchain technologies, put it in kind of plain English, 
for investors to see, not only just on our company, but the industry, all the risks associated with that, and then have the SEC, you know, put a stamp on it. It's not a stamp of approval, but say, okay, we believe this is, you know, accurate description of your industry and we have no more questions. You can, you know, go sell stock to the public. And that was right. you know, very, it was just a time-consuming process. Uh, you know, the interesting part is, you know, four years later, we are still, you know, one of a handful of public companies. And, you know, with the amount of interest in this space compared to, you know, like like other industries, right? The, there's just so much interest both in, in, you know, Bitcoin technology, excuse me, blockchain technology, Bitcoins, other tokens. There's all this interest, but there's no way to invest in it through the stock market, except for, you know, five companies traded over the counter, um, of which I think it's like us and, you know, Barry Silvers, who's a GBTC, his, uh, his kind of mini, you know, ETF that's still traded over the counter. So it's basically, you know, I look at it as, you know, his vehicle in our company are the only two, you know, ones really in the U.S. There are a couple others, but none of them have ever raised any capital. None have ever, you know, they have no operations. I mean, I could, I could go through, a, you know, laundry list of these things. We, we've kind of been down on our heels, run out of money, but we've raised to date, I think, $7.5 million. Um, it's the most, it, it, you know, 10 times most of the other, actually, I think most of the other public companies have raised max a couple hundred thousand. So we're, you know, we're the best funded public company. Unfortunately, we're, we were kind of underfunded for our, the business model we went after, which is kind of depressing. But, you know, a lot of money has flowed to these, you know, the private companies in big rounds. So it's, yeah, that, that's been, I think that's been the biggest challenge is being public. We've had to, we've had the distraction of being public and had to deal with the SEC and the accounting and haven't really gotten the benefit, you know, getting to like the NASDAQ or an exchange where we would have access to really, really large pools of capital that would, you know, you get to a certain level and if you're public, the access to capital is, you know, 10 times better than you would have if you were private, but you kind of have to get to a certain size and scale for that to be available. You know, it may not seem like it now. It may seem like, you know, you're the pioneer and you're taking all the hits, maybe without thank yous for the industry. But I think in the future, um, when regulation firms up and things become more well-established, that you're gonna, you guys will be in a good position because you've taken this risk and, and you know, are a public company and you're kind of sailing out in front of the of all the other ships. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and that's, I mean, I think we're lucky from one perspective because there's so few public companies and because we've been around for so long and people, you know, trust management and we've, you know, raised money and we've had two theses that were very, you know, spot on. And we kind of, we fell on our face a little bit. We didn't raise the capital we needed to really do what we set out to do. We've kind of adjusted our, our business model accordingly. But I've looked at a lot of private companies and they've just fallen by the wayside and we're still here. So... You know, that, you know, I don't know if that's just kind of our management team, but, you know, it's, I don't know if we'd be in that same position if there was, you know, 100 public companies in the space or 50 public companies. I think we, we would have kind of struggled, but it, it, it has been challenging. I mean, you know, just to kind of give you some, you know, more colorful stories, you know, since yeah. being public, we've probably had every regulatory body, you know, inquire about what we're doing because we are public and you right. can go read our filings. So we, you know, we've had to answer questions from the SEC, FINRA, the IRS, you know, the FBI, the Department of Justice. I mean, you name it, everyone's asked us questions, and we've always come out, you know, clean on the other side. You know, funny story is, you know, we had um, this was a year and a half ago. Carl Force and it was Sean Bridges uh, showed up at our mm. of They showed up at his door at six in the morning, you know, with like badges and guns. This is before they got busted, right? So at his door. 
our, our chief operating officer, Michael Henry. Really? So he, oh, he, man. He, I know they, they were involved with the Silk Road. They were the, you know. Yeah, yeah just, just, they, they were the agents investigating Silk Road. They show up at his door at 6 in the morning, flashing badges, and they have guns, and, you know, ask them, just drill them on questions. Because I get a call at about, you know, 738, and he's like, I just had, you know, this just happened. What do I do? I'm like, oh, this isn't good. You know, well, we haven't done anything wrong. We'll just give them all the information they want. We didn't bother calling our lawyers. We're like, we didn't do anything. We have nothing to hide. Go read our SEC filings. Have a nice day. And then they, they, they started asking companies we invested in. So we were investor in GoCoin. They started asking them questions because we, you know, they want to know about all our investments. Turns out, and this is, you know, like a month and a half later, those guys get busted for, what were they doing? They were blackmailing, what was that guy? guy's name? The Dread Pirate Roberts. Oh, name's slipping my mind. Oh, um, Ross, Ross Albrecht. Yeah, so they were blackmailing him, and they got busted because they actually, you know, they got like 700 grand in Bitcoin or something. And so I actually, through my wife and one of her contacts, I, I reached out to the FBI. I'm like, you know, these guys showed up at our door. And they came back, and they were like, yeah, they probably were trying to rob you. you oh, know, my God, really? Wow. Yeah, they were like, we, they didn't actually rob you, so we don't have a case, and got enough other stuff on them. It's a waste of our time. Like They were like, what were your damages? I'm like, well, I didn't bother calling my lawyer, but our, our portfolio company... You know, they probably lost, you know, 20 grand in legal, right? Because they got, you know, they were nervous about it. And they're like, eh, peanuts, right? Compared to what the other stuff they had. But it just kind of shows that, you know, it's uh, it's been an interesting place to work. And it's finally, you know, four years later, it's an improvement. I mean, we had, you know, we had all our bank accounts shut by Capital One. We were, you know, early on. Not only our business. Yeah, tell me about that experience just briefly. Oh, that was awful. Um, you know, you think, you know, you start up a company and the the last thing on your mind is a bank account, right? Like if you want to start a, I don't know, you want to start a company, you know, start up in, in a 3D printing space. I'm just making something up. You just walk to your local bank, say, I want to start, you know, after you form an LLC or C Corp, whatever, you go to the local bank, open a bank account, no big deal. You pick up all, you know, whatever you want and make a deposit and you're off to the race, right? A kind of a, you know, low cost commodity service. If you're in the Bitcoin space, it's very hard to even get a bank account open. Um, and this has changed. I think in 2013, it was easy because people weren't taking note of it or didn't really know. But by the in 2014, everyone was very nervous because Bitcoin was kind of hot. So banks didn't want to open a cap. So we actually went to Capital One um, and, uh, you know, opened an account there, put in, I don't know, like a half million dollars. You know, one of the things I said to him is when we opened the account, I said, look, I, you need to kick this up, not to like the local branch, but to like the the highest person you can, the highest compliance person in, in the thing and make sure it's okay. And like, okay, we'll do that. So they kicked it up like three levels beyond the branch to the next level to the next level up. And they're like, okay, we're okay. They reviewed our SEC filings, our financial statements. The big thing there that banks are concerned with is that you're a money service business and you should be registered with FinCEN. And they're worried about, you know, any money laundering, you know, know your customer, making sure their clients are compliant with that. And we're like, we're an e-commerce site. And we've got investments in company, right? We keep our investments under 10% in anything that would potentially be a money transmitter because there's a look-through, at least as it pertains to the bit license, had a look-through over 10%. And so, you know, like, no problem. And I said, look, if you want to close the account, I told this guy, if you want to close the account, I have no problem doing that, but I don't want my personal account closed um, because, you know, that, but I, don't, I won't even open it if you'll do that. He's like, oh, we would never, never do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, until they do. Two days later, I get a call and they're like, yeah, uh, we did one transaction. We we invested. We we were in the first round for this company called um, Bitfault. Now Gem. I don't know if you you're familiar with them. Yeah, I know Gem. Yep. Yeah, medical so, data so, application. Yep. 
Exactly. When they started, though, they had a, a wallet, like a, basically a white label wallet solution. You could build a wallet on their technology. It was similar to BitGo, except they didn't have the front end. So we actually built a whole wallet on their platform. We never took it out of beta because we were really worried about holding people's funds and you know other regulatory reasons. So we didn't, and there's no uh, until you had a user base, there was no way to monetize it. So we decided it wasn't worth taking the risk for no no reward. But we invested in in Gem through our Capital One account. The only transaction we did. And, you know, two days later, I get a call from the banker and he's like, yeah, we're going to have to shut your account. I'm like, okay, no big deal. Just, you know, give us a cashier's check and you'll close the corporate. I'm like, he's like, yeah, I am. We're going to have to shut your personal. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, and we're, he's like, and we're going to shut your wife's account. We're going to shut the joint account with your wife. We're going to shut another company that I was involved in. It had nothing to do with this from like a couple, when I was an investment banker, but I was in like a, Right. A special purpose vehicle with a couple other guys that did a, a deal in, you know, the mining state, coal mining, and they shut that account. And it was like, I had to go explain to, you know, my wife, you know, all these people, we had like direct pay to our nanny. I mean, it was just awful. And they wouldn't give That's me, crazy. yeah, they would, they would give me no reason. They just said, you know, they wouldn't admit that it was because of the Bitcoin stuff. And they couldn't even, you know, claim that we were a money service. So, you know, it, it, a, little, a little thing like that. You know, I look at the amount of time we spent to open a new bank account. Cause we had, we didn't want to have just one bank account because if that gets shut, you have no bank accounts, right? And how you even pay bills, right? I mean, I guess you could pay with Bitcoin, but not everyone takes it. You know, you can't pay. You know, I, I have to pay the SEC, right? If we file, or I have to pay. You know, I have all these service providers just on the public company side, and they don't take Bitcoin, and they, you know, they don't get cash. So. If you don't have any bank accounts, you're, you're, I mean, you've got a major problem, right? Just you know, operating. So that was yeah, you're screwed. Yeah, you're unbanked. You're unbanked. You're unbanked. So you know, it became a major issue. I mean, like to this day, I don't, I don't have any of my personal bank accounts at the same bank as my wife. We don't have a joint bank account anymore. Wow, really? Which is it's, it's awful to think that because of my, you know, I'm running a company in a new a new space, I can't have a bank account with my wife. Um, you might want to write a book, you know, how Bitcoin ruined my marriage. Hopefully it never will. But I didn't ruin my marriage. It did eliminate, you know, a joint bank account, um, which is not. I, not, did, I just pictured, uh, I pictured like a man and woman laying in bed and like a big Bitcoin token between them. And they're, you know, I'm just, I'm just teasing, but it's, you know, it's not funny, but it's kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, like it's, I, I think, um, you know, like running a startup company and despite the fact we're public, you know, we're still a startup. I mean, that's stressful on. Yeah, a family, right? I mean, it's just a lot of hours. You know, right. it's very uncertain. But yeah, so that was that was a big, uh, you know, that was a, a big, you know, nightmare. And it's just just a time drain when you have to end. If you're trying to grow a business and you're trying to do things and you're spending you know, a lot of time trying to get a basic bank account open so you can do business, uh, and that's a you know that, that has no value to the company. It doesn't create revenue. It doesn't create shareholder value. Your investors don't care. It's just a complete and utter distraction. But you know, so that we we lost a lot of time in really 2014. You know, m- months. You know, going through the process with different banks, and now we have you know two bank accounts, and we you know we haven't. That's fine. We lost one. We get nervous again and start again. But I think most firms are very open to blockchain technologies now uh, and Bitcoin. And as long as you're not an exchange, I don't really see. You know, they kind of get the difference of, of you know the different business models. But I also haven't had to go back and try, so that's that's nice. I mean, what other what other stories can I interesting stories would be kind of interesting to those readings? So we had a facility in North Carolina. We had an eighty three thousand square foot facility in North Carolina where we were mining Bitcoin. We also were you know, before we, we we suspended operation. 
we were mining Ethereum, and we had some custom. We were working with a group to design custom uh, Ethereum rig. And uh, it, uh, when the price of Bitcoin dropped, we, we were kind of one of those miners that got put in trouble. Right? We built ability, um, very cheap build app, but we did it on a shoestring budget and built to three megawatts of capacity. And we're only using one. We were going to merge with Spinduli. And they were in a, their next generation equipment. We were going to launch in our facility. So we kind of built everything out and took a very big bet that we would get the funding to finish the merger with Spindulis and fill out the facility. So needless to say, we didn't get the, the funding because Bitcoin came down, which also put a crunch on our, our mining operations. And there's that was that old saying, you can stay, that the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay liquid, was kind of uh, what hit us, right? I mean, if we had been able to stick it out another six months and ride Bitcoin back up, we would have been fine. Right now, we would be in an amazing position. But anyway, so we ended up having to, power company turned off the electricity to the building. And so we got robbed. That was like the next, uh, uh, you think about like things that happened. Someone like physically robbed our facility and took all our Bitcoin miners. So that was, uh, yeah, yeah. And then we, you know, it was interesting. The hardest part was the insurance company. Uh, They thought we stole it. They they were convinced that an inside job, you know, so, you know, another challenge of just, you know, which should be ordinary course of business because it was a Bitcoin space, there must be something, you know, challenging to your company, right? That, you know, it can't be, you know, because of all the bad press. So we had to go through, I mean, forensic audit, interviews with private investigators until they finally paid us nine months later, which was, you know, and they paid us a third what they owed us. And we just said, okay, whatever, we don't have, we're not going to fight them. We don't have the, the effort to fight them. But it's been, you know, anyway, those are a couple, I know it's kind of tangent, but it's been a, a wild ride being in this, in this kind of sector, right? Because it's, it's really interesting. It touches on so many businesses or so, so many industries that are, unregula- that are very regulated, right? If you want to exchange Bitcoin to cash, for instance, mm-hmm. that's regulated business, right? You have to register with FinCEN, you're a money service business. And so you can't just, if Bitcoin's cash, you can't just enter that business without being regulated. And the punishment for, for not doing that you know, appropriately is very severe, right? If you're Uber and you just want to, you know, taxi cabs are regulated, right? Um, like in New York City, they have medallions. Right. If you want to be Uber, eh, you just do it anyway. And what's the worst thing that can happen, right? You get slapped by a fine by the, you know, local county or state. If you're an unlike money transmitter, you can go to jail, right? Yeah, so, it's you know, it's very serious consequences when you get in the money transmission side. When you get into the, you know, even now I'm looking at like the, the, the coin offering. It's like, you know, it's a security, right? Now you're messing with the SEC, right? If you're doing futures, right, you're messing with the uh, CFTC, right? So when you look at, when I look at like Bitcoin and even, you know, basically all blockchain technologies that are somewhat, uh, that aren't dealing with kind of assets that wouldn't be regulated, and there are a lot of great use cases for unregulated assets. It's a space that Unlike many other industries that have been disrupted by technology, it, it, it's disrupting industries that are highly regulated. So you're, you know, if you're operating in the space, it, you know, you're kind of under extreme you know, regulatory scrutiny the whole time, or you, sh- you should at least be nervous about. It. And I don't think, frankly, a lot of a lot of the younger entrepreneurs in the space aren't nervous about entering some of the business lines they are because they don't even know that they're doing something wrong. Right. Very interesting, man. You guys have been through the ringer. <laughs> yeah, and look, that's like two kind of interesting. I mean, I could probably give you five or ten like that. That's like the tip of the iceberg. Stuff. So, but, what's your? I mean, you'd be a great uh, person to give insights to other companies in the space because they may face some of the ch- same challenges or similar problems that you guys have faced. So, what? I don't know if you want to give it, but 
Yeah, Any I mean, recommendations think, or advice for uh, other companies in this space that, uh, you know, things to watch out for or, you know, paths to take or not take? Yeah, and I've given a lot of companies advice, and usually what it comes down to is, you know, focus on, um, it depends on what they're doing, right? If, if, if you're building a company that's going to provide a service, it's going to be disruptive for the future, um, look for the, you know, don't shoot beyond the horizon. That's kind of number one. Like, try not to build things that are going to be useful 10 years from now. Try to build things that will be useful one, two, three, maybe four years from now because the probability that your business survives is much higher, right? If you, you know, VCs are looking for five-year exits for five to seven years, you know, my investors have a much shorter horizon at six months to a year as a public company, right? Because they're usually hedge funds. But look for to build solutions that are, you know, where you can actually turn into a working business sooner rather than later because things will change between now and when you when you think something's going to happen, right? <clears throat> and, and it eliminates the need to have to pivot all the time, right? Um, you know, that's kind of number one or two. It's like, you know, stay away from highly regulated industries, especially if you don't have a lot of money, right? Meaning, you know, if, if you wanted to create a solution, there are a lot of solutions that blockchain can, blockchains can solve, right? Like you could, I think that one of my, the best examples is if you could put Ticketmaster on the blockchain, that'd be the low-hanging fruit in my mind, right? Someone prints out a ticket mm, for the Super right. Bowl, you know, the low, you know, and their shared printer at the office, someone steals it, sells it on, you know, eBay, and then someone else goes to the game 10 minutes before you, right? And they got a ticket for 100 bucks, but it'd be first in the door, right? Just as an example, right? You put a, something like a ticket like that on the blockchain, and now all of a sudden you could digitally move that asset from one person to another, and everyone would verify that they had the original copy, right, as it moved, or the original asset. Right. You know, you do that with a security, which is going on in the ICOs, and it's like, wow, you know, you can get away with it until you're successful, right? Because you're messing with the SEC now. They're probably not going to take notice if, like, you know, a few people are, you know, doing something and no one's using it, right? That's kind of one of those, you know, situations where you end up with, you know, success is your worst enemy, right? So if you can stay away from those regulated businesses, unless you have the capital to actually do it and make it happen, it's probably, you know, a good move, right? Because the technology can solve lots of problems. And if you understand, you know, if you're a developer, let's say, and you understand the technology, all you need to do is find the right place to do it. I mean, that's why uh, if you look at Gem, they're focused on health, right? It makes a huge market and, and the regulatory scrutiny over it is, you know, not really an issue, right? I mean, there's a lot of issues with privacy of data, but they solve that problem. So that's like, you know, there's a solution to the problem. They're not, they don't need to really be worried about the regulation, if that makes sense. Um, like, 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 here's a great example. I, I was helping a company that had a digital exchange where, where you could literally issue securities, like ICOs, this is like three years ago, and it was traded on their platform, and it was working. They were selling these things. I mean, this is before ICOs, and everyone was really interested. And I brought, I, I, you know, I brought the CEO to meet with, you know, a couple different law firms. You know, his argument was, well, if I don't, if I never have the asset, right, if I never have possession of the asset, then I'm not an exchange. Because if you're an exchange, you have to be regulated. Right. And the SEC's just come out and said you have to you have to be, right? That was a couple of years later. But now they they've come out and said that because it's getting really big. This guy was doing it for three years, but he had no traffic on his site, no one really used it, they could care less, right? You've got a guy that has, you know, ten people on his site, no, it's not worth their time. If he was successful and he turned into Google the next day, I guarantee yes, if you would have looked at this a lot sooner, right? ICOs took off and boom, they're putting out guidance, you know, a couple months yeah, later. That makes sense. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I told him, I was like, look, this is, you need to be really careful in this. And it was funny, I, we were sitting with the lawyer, he said, well, I don't ever actually touch it. And when we, when we drilled down to how his process worked, he did actually touch the asset. So he's like, well, it's only for a second. I'm like, but a second's all it takes. The hacker steals it and you had possession. You were acting as an exchange. You're in a legal exchange. And, you know, you could go, I, I mean, I don't know if that's, you know, I don't know what level of crime that is. I don't know if that's something you can go to jail for, but it's like, you know, is that what you want to do as a startup, you know, entrepreneur, right? You want to solve problems and, you know, you want to solve exciting problems that, that have impact. You don't want to, you know, end up with regulatory headaches and, and bills. So that that's kind of, those are the two things I usually tell to, you know, younger companies trying to, you know, enter the space. Yeah, very good. So what's the best way for listeners to uh, interact with BTCS and find out more about your initiatives and maybe, uh, you know, talk to you about all kinds of possible business together? So, yeah, for us, it's it's interesting because we're, um, you know, since we're public, I mean, the best way people can get a hold of us is they just email investor relations. You know, those, you know, the people I'm close with, you know, just email me directly or call me. And that's typically the best way to kind of get in contact with us if, if they're looking to do something. With respect to how do you learn about the business, I and mean, that's kind of the great part is you could read our SEC filings. And we put a huge amount of effort to make sure our disclosure is good. Frankly, most people don't read them. You know, it, you know we have, you know, that, that's kind of one way we put out press releases, which are, you know, updates on business, but not necessarily material things, more color. And I kind of look at it as a public company, you do two things, right? You have your standard, you know, number one is your standard filing. Quarterly reports, S1, 10Ks, you know, annual report. And then you have 8Ks or material information. And, you know, a lot of times if we ever do something material, put out a press release to accompany it. And a press release is usually just putting, you know, color and language around, you know, dry legal language that describes, you know, just what happened, not why it happened. So that, you know, that's kind of how we put out information. We also... You know, for a while, we, we do some, some good videos. Uh, like when we had our facility in North Carolina, we did a, it was actually pretty cool. We did a, a video of the, the, basically tour of the facility. So everyone could see, see what the building looked like from, you know, the outside. We flew, we did some footage with the drone and then virtual reality or 360 degree, you know, video footage on the inside so you could kind of look around and see what a mining facility looks like. So that was, cool. you know, kind of historic, but, um, you know, one of the ways we communicated with our shareholders. Oh, very good. Well, I mean, I could probably ask you questions and stories for hours, but uh, you know, we're kind of out of time. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, look, I appreciate you having me, and I'm sorry if I jumped around a little bit. It's uh, okay. Uh, you know, it's uh, hopefully it's uh, entertaining for everyone. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 
3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 